Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. So we're going to jump right into the Word of God today. And as I was praying and preparing, um, I actually was reminded of a message that I shared at the beginning of the year. And the Lord led me to revisit the heart of that message again today. How many know that um, when we're growing and we're maturing, uh, hearing something once is usually not enough? Right? Like, we need to be reminded over and over. For any of you that are parents, have you ever just told your kids something once or taught them something once and then they just got it? Typically not. Right, typically it's, it's over and over, and I, and I feel the heart of the Lord on um, this message today. And so if you want to grab your Bibles, I'm actually going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to read the Word of God as we start out of Ephesians chapter 4. So if you'd stand with me, grab your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says this in verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord... Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise for his word today? Come on, give him just a shout of praise. Father, we thank you for your word We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would pierce our hearts with your word this morning. Father, I even just ask that the atmosphere of this room would literally be the atmosphere of heaven here. Your kingdom coming through your word, speaking to every one of us. I pray I would be convicted and everyone else would be too. And it would produce life in Jesus' name. I pray you would help the guy that's speaking today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Yeah. So a week or so ago, uh, we were looking at a house that was for sale. Um, We're still between homes. I like saying that. It sounds better than we're homeless living with friends in their basement. (laughs) And after we had looked at this home, by the way, you know, when you say living in somebody's basement, it sounds terrible. We're living in quite an amazing basement. Just let you know that. It's pretty, don't, don't feel bad for us. It's amazing. But uh, after we'd looked at this particular home, we were standing outside the house. And uh, we was just talking. And uh, the neighbor next to this house that we looked at came out. And we just kind of struck up this conversation. She was just a super sweet lady. We talked for a while. And um, there we are in this cul-de-sac standing there talking. And I don't remember all that she said, but... For some reason, at one point, she said these words. She said, I'm a Christian, but I believe everyone should be able to live however they want to live. And, and, 
And as <laughs> we got some groans, we got some oohs, we got some, you know, that hit you all in a certain way. And as she said that, it was like, I can't explain it. I felt no judgment towards her at all because I don't even know her, right? I, have, I, have, I don't even know this person, but it was as if she had a microphone and there was like this delay on the mic and it repeated in my ear over and over and over again. I'm a Christian, but I believe everyone should be able able to live however they want to live. And I mean absolutely no dishonor to this sweet woman. You'll never know who she is. I may not ever see her again in my life either, because I don't think we're buying that house. <laughs> in fact, now that I'm preaching this and sharing this, I can't buy that house, because she'd be, you know. <laughs> right? but, but church, those words are the exact opposite of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And, and the, the opposite of that is actually true of him, that I actually don't live however I want to live. I now live my life in a manner that is worthy of the calling of which I have been called in Jesus. And that now as a Christian, as a believer, I look to Jesus and his word, and that's how I live my life. And when he gets in me, I actually want to do what he says. I actually don't have to, but my want to wants to. And when we live in this way, we actually really find out what living really is. This last year and a half has um, tested us in so many ways, and it just seems to keep going, doesn't it? Our relationships have been tested. Our unity has been tested. To say that people have a few opinions is an understatement on all the things, about all the things um, I'm so very aware in the middle, as I'm sure you are as well, of the battle that's going on in the heavenly realms. That there has been, um, there's been a war over our hearts. There's been a war for our unity. To try and divide, to try and rip apart the body of Christ. And uh, just when it seems to maybe be calming down, it seems like over the last year and a half, 18 months, you'll have these moments where you're like, okay, I think we're coming out. And then it just ramps right up, right? And just when you think it's calming down, it just picks back up in intensity. And the Bible is really clear that the, the devil, the enemy, is scheming and he's prowling around like a roaring lion, right? His mission is actually to devour people, and one of the ways that he loves to devour is by targeting unity, targeting relationships, trying to divide families up, trying to divide marriages up, trying to divide parents against children and friendships in the church and ultimately divide the church up, the body of Christ, because his mission is to kill, steal, and destroy. We all know this, right? Anytime we see those three things happening, we can know that the forces of darkness are at work. And I want to suggest to you today, um, as, 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 our, as friends, as, as family, as Jesus followers, that we must learn from this past year and a half the things that we've walked through and not repeat the things that we've, that we've missed, 
Like there have been moments along the way that maybe surprised us, but now actually we shouldn't be surprised. That we've seen different things happen, we've responded maybe in ways that we shouldn't, we've behaved in ways we shouldn't, but guess what? Now we've learned better and the Holy Spirit is in us and wants to lead us into truth, into walking in his way. And I want to suggest to us that it's a moment to be alert, that it's a moment to be awake, it's a moment to be watchful, it's a moment to be sober-minded so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil and say, no way, not today, devil. Turn to somebody and say, no way, not today, devil. But don't call them devil. <laughs> not today. Not today. Not today. I'm not going to fall into a trap of bitterness. Not today. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fall into the, the trap of offense. I'm not going to fall into the trap of suspicion about what they're doing or what they're thinking. I'm not going to fall into the trap of judgment. I'm not going to fall into the trap of gossip and shrouding it in prayer. <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to do that. I've, I've been tempted by that in the last year and a half. And guess what? I learned, I grew, I'm going to stand in a new place and I'm not going to do it. All these things can often come through misunderstanding and differences among us. How many say there's some differences with people around you? That, that you have, how many say I have a few differences with a few people around me? Okay. Of course we do. The atmosphere around us literally swirls with discord right now. Swirls with offense, swirls with accusation. The world around us swirls with suspicion in fact, it's been swirling with such an intensity for so long that in some ways I think it's becoming normalized to the world around us. But here's what I want to say. Church, it's not to be normalized in us. It is not to be our normal in any. This is not to be our atmosphere. This is where the rubber meets the road and that we are from a different kingdom. We are of a different mind. We live from a different place in this place. I want to remind you, as I have many times, and I'm going to continue to remind you as your pastor that our fight is never against people. I, I've said it probably 10 times in the last two years, and I'll say it maybe 100 times. Our fight is not against people. It isn't against flesh and blood. And sometimes I think that we're aware of it, and sometimes I think that we forget and we engage otherwise. Yeah. Ephesians six twelve, you know it. I primarily read out of the ESV, but every once in a while I use versions like the New Living Translation or the Message or the Passion uh, just because it opens certain parts up. I look for theology in the ESV and in translations like that. But this is what it says out of Ephesians 6.12. It says, your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. I think that would be a good one to print off and put on our mirrors as we get ready every day. Because we need a reminder of this every single day. It isn't just a Bible verse from childhood. It's actually a verse that's spirit and life that is for us right now to live in. And I believe that in this very explosive season that we are in, that the church of Jesus Christ must protect the atmosphere among us. 
among us. That in the body, that we would guard our hearts and we would protect our hearts and we would look to protect the hearts of others around us. That in this really, 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 really long season of hot buttons, how we care for and how we handle one another is maybe one of the most important issues of this moment. How we love and how we walk through conflict and how we walk through differences is maybe important, more important than we could ever understand. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. What if we took our unity and our love for one another as seriously as we take anything right now? I really wonder about this. I just as I was praying through this, I was thinking about a house divided. Don't worry, our house isn't divided. Our leadership's in unity. As far as I know, people are mostly in unity as much as I know. I'm not preaching this because I don't think we're in unity. I'm preaching this because I see what's happening in the world around us, in the church around us, and I believe we have to take a really radical stand to protect the unity in the church and the body of Jesus Christ. But I, if... If, if in here the house is divided, then we will crumble out there. If my family is divided in our home or in our basement, we will not be able to stand out there. There are moments, Christy and I, if we're in a, in a bit of a, a place of like disunity, like I'm not able to be effective in what I'm doing outside of our family. And so she and I have to give attention to that moment of disunity. And we always find that it was my fault and I repent and it's all good. <laughs> right, babe? I could have said it the other way, but I wanted to honor you. I'm learning. Two years in, I'm learning. 20 years in marriage, yeah. I would like to just suggest to us today that our unity and our love for each other is directly connected to the success of our mission. And here's why. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13, 35. He says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He's talking to the disciples. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to say it again. I believe that our unity and our love for each other are directly connected to the success of our mission of bringing heaven to earth. I believe it's directly connected to our effectiveness outside of the body of Christ as we proclaim the goodness of the Lord to the world around us. How we navigate through turbulent times towards one another will show the world who he is. 
They're gonna know that we are his by the way we love each other. And if the body of Christ isn't living this, isn't displaying this in a very turbulent and tumultuous time, who will, how will they know who he is? How are they gonna know who he is? How will they know what he's like? And what in the heck are we calling them to? I said heck. It's better than other words. Right? What are we calling them to? Like, I believe that we can get this right. I believe we can get this right, but it's going to take some work. And what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4 to the church at Ephesus and what I believe he wants to say to us together today as a church, he's saying is that I urge you to walk in a manner, in a way that is worthy of your calling. In other words, that you would walk in a way with each other that would tell the story of Jesus. That our life together would show the world who he is. He says, I urge you. Other translations say, I plead with you. How many know there's a time to plead with the church? There's a time to plead with the body of Christ. The NIV says, he says, I beg you. It's a passionate plea to the church, and it's a plea to us. Live in a way that is worthy of your calling. And I have to tell you, my heart aches for this. In a city where so many people have been burnt out by religion and hurt by church people, my heart aches for this church. That we would live in a way that is worthy of our calling that so points to Jesus because we've seen him, because we've beheld him, because we have been with him, that we cannot help but look like him and express him in our love towards one another. So what is the call? And in this particular passage that we're digging into today, it's, it's not an individual call. He's not talking about the specifics of what you're called to, it's a call to the community of Jesus for unity. It's not a call to be a teacher, a nurse, or a doctor, a business person, or it's a call to live a life of total allegiance and obedience and loyalty to Jesus above anything else. We see this throughout Paul's letters to the churches. To believers, we see him over and over write these instructions on the centrality of working to maintain, working to grow, and working to defend unity that we have in Jesus. How many know that maintaining unity takes work? It takes work to resist and to break off and to squash anything that's trying to destroy or break the unity among believers. What Paul has given us here is a basic manual for how to walk out our call. And so he gives us these five things that are central to walk in humility. The first one, or to walk out our calling, the first one is this, humility. Can we say that out loud, humility? Heath gave an incredible message a couple of weeks ago on humility. What's interesting is Paul doesn't just say humility, he says all humility. So in other words, not just a little, all other translations say be completely humble. To walk out our calling, it is going to take humility. 
And we know this, the culture around us is filled with pride, it's filled with arrogance, it's filled with mean, it's filled with ugly, it's filled with anger and frustration. And what Paul is calling us to is the exact opposite as believers. How do we navigate this moment? Humility. What does it look like? I wrote down just a few things that I think humility looks like. It's not comprehensive. And I've shared a few of these before, but I believe humility looks like, to start with, not me believing that I know everything about everything. That'll set you free. In this season, it's amazing how everyone knows everything about everything. Right? It's like, you're so smart. Wow, how do you know all that? Did you go to school for that? It's amazing. Oh, you were on the internet for 20 hours. I'm sorry. That's terrible. I feel like the spirit of Pastor Gary came on me. I'm like, I'm bringing division right in the middle of my message about unity. I'm just kidding. Hey, smile at somebody. Smile at me especially. Come on. I just, I just say this. Did you know that you'll always find what you're looking for? Like, I, I realize this just as a side note. Did you know that, that as you Google and YouTube things, Google and YouTube, the more you, you Google and YouTube, like, specific things, they'll actually suggest more and more to you of what you're looking for? I was thinking about that, how crazy that is. Like, the more I want to, like, find out what I want to find out, I'll find it. But like, think about this. The Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God and reveals them to us. I just had this moment like maybe this is the search engine that we should be engaging with a little bit more. Right? Like maybe we should be engaging the search engine of the Holy Spirit to speak to us about all the things. Am I meddling? I don't mean to be. Humility looks like being open to the possibility that I may not understand everything about everything rightly. Humility humility looks like me being open to the fact that I could be missing something. Have you ever thought something until you sat down and had an actual conversation with somebody and then you actually realized, man, I was missing a lot. I had a lot of predisposed ideas about that person that actually weren't true. But then when I actually sat down in love and I I wanted to hear, I actually found out things that I did not understand. There were things I was missing. What if the body of Christ right now walked in that kind of humility that we weren't prideful and thinking we know everything about everything, but we actually were like, I want to understand. In marriage, right? Could be a marriage class right there. In friendships, I could be missing something that I may not see how I'm coming across. But humility says I want to understand. Even though I think I know what's going on here, I may not fully understand, but, but I want to. Humility is realizing that I may have some growing to do. 
Humility is I don't have to be right even if I am. Humility realizes that I can be right and wrong at the same time. Right? Like, I might be right, but I've gone about it completely wrong. We talk about this a lot. Like, I might actually have the truth, but I'm not walking in the way of Jesus. Right? I think humility looks like I can actually be con- corrected or confronted without being defensive. That I'm teachable. Humility looks like I, I own my actions and my behaviors. I'm so glad Stephen's here. He's so encouraging to me. <laughs> Humility is that I'm actually quick to repent and that I'm quick to forgive. And here's one to really think about. I've shared this before. Anytime I'm wanting to be right over wanting to love, I'm not walking in humility. Anytime I'm wanting to be right over wanting to love, I'm not walking in humility. And when I want to be right over wanting to love, I become blind and I cannot see. And this is a real issue I believe that we face right now that the Lord wants to grow us up in, in our body life. That we would grow up in every way into maturity. That we would see all that's going on right now in the world around us different than we did a year ago. Six months ago, because we've matured in our love, because we've matured in our, in our desire to emulate Jesus on the earth. Listen to Philippians 2, verse 3 says this, be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first. View others as more important than yourselves. View others as more important than yourselves. Pride wants to control, but humility wants to connect. Humility wants to have a heart connection. We say this all the time. There are times when I want to control my children and I don't want to connect with them. I just want them to do what I said. And there's a time for that. But more than anything, I want to heart connect with my children. I don't want to control them. I want to connect with their hearts so that they will want to do what's right. (laughs) Humility isn't being wimpy. Humility is actually strength. It's recognizing my need for the Lord. When you recognize your need for the Lord, when you recognize that you don't have it all together and you recognize that you don't have all the answers, there is power in that. Pride is weak. Humility is strength. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I I don't want the Lord opposing me. I want the grace of God. And humility is one of the most central ingredients, I believe, to how we walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling in Jesus in every season, but especially in this one. We cannot expect the world to be humble. The world will not be humble because they don't follow Jesus. They're not walking in the manner worthy of their calling. We are. The church is to be humble because we follow Jesus and we show them who he is through our humility. 
The second one that he says here is walk in a manner worthy of your calling with all gentleness. And gentleness is this quality, it's like being kind. Again, it's not wimpy, it's, it's the way we carry ourselves with tenderness. How many say we could use some tenderness right now? We could use some gentleness, even when we're dealing with serious issues, global issues, local issues, conflicts in our families. I, I can say very hard and difficult things, but I can say them with gentleness. I can have a disagreement with a, with a family member or a friend or my child, but I can do it with gentleness. I can talk with a fellow believer about vaccinations and be gentle. There I said it. Right? Like if you think you can't do that in a gentle way, then we're missing something in the kingdom. I can talk about whatever that hot button of the day is. And they might see things very differently from me, but I can do it with gentleness. And in that, I can actually leave the table where I'm having coffee or lunch or a snack with someone and I can walk away and we can be one in Jesus, even in our differences. If it bothers you that I'm saying this, it might be because we need to pray into it. Do you feel that tension? I can feel the tension in it. <laughs> Maybe I'm just feeling it. So I'm seeing some mean. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you might say, oh, my, my makeup isn't gentle. My personality isn't gentle, right? Like, I'm, I'm gruff. That's how I am. I'm really gruff. I'm mean. But guess what? Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So when the Spirit of the Lord is in me, the fruit of gentleness comes out of my life. It manifests out of me. I know, I know when we're, we're talking, I talk like this. I, I, I know enough about culture. I know enough about where we're at that, you know, like, oh, the pastor's talking about gentleness and humility and love. Come on, let's get on to the real things. I want to tell you the greatest of everything is love. This matters. This really, 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 really matters. And I have such a heart in me that we get this right. I have such a heart that we get this right that we walk in this prescription that he has given us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. A kind word, a gentle word turns away wrath. As a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a leader, I often have difficult conversations. I'd love to have less of them. But my prayer is that in them, I want to have them with gentleness. And that my heart is always, God, help me release the heart of Jesus in this conversation. What if we walked into those difficult conversations and we said, Jesus, I want to be gentle and I want to release your heart more than I want to be right. 
seems right now in our Christian culture that words like humble and gentle and love almost seem like super low in importance. But church, I want to tell you, I believe they are so critical. So much that Paul says here, they are the way to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Like we can float out here, but if we don't get this, we'll never be able to do that right. So he says with humility, gentleness, with patience, he says next, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4, the passion says it like this, with tender humility and quiet patience. Always demonstrate gentleness and generous love towards one another, especially towards those who may try your patience. Turn to somebody and say, especially towards those. Come on. Who try your patience. Bearing with one another in love. Paul knows as he writes this, that there is diversity in our relationships in the body of Christ. And he knows that there are going to be real differences in the body of Christ. And guess what? Differences mean real difficulties. Real difficulties. I mean, you don't have to be married long to understand that there are going to be differences and they're going to cause some real difficulties. In other words, it's going to be messy. It's going to be messy. I say this all the time. I live in a house, a basement, with five leaders. Everybody's a leader in my house. Let me tell you, there are differences of opinion. And my girls are getting college-level training on how to walk and bear in love with one another with five leaders in the house, right? Like, it's just the truth. But everybody is not going to be thinking like you. He's saying you're going to need humility. You're going to need gentleness. And you're going to need patience to bear with one another in love. You're going to have to sit down with that family member or that person in the body of Christ. And you're going to have to listen to all of their crazy ideas. Right? You're going to have to sit there and hear the things that you're like, oh my gosh, what in the world, right? And you're going to have to still love them. And you're going to have to still be committed to them, even though you know that you know that you know that they're a little crazy. Am I, am I, okay. And in the midst of those differences, you're going to have to refuse to dehumanize them. And instead, bear with them in love and not cut them off. Have you ever been tempted to just cut somebody off because their views on a particular thing are so different? How many of you ever had to, had to bear through in relationships and love like this? I, like you, have many moments Uh, where I have to refuse the temptation to put people into camps. And I have to refuse to put people uh, into divisions that the world would want us to put each other in. And I have to refuse that. There are this, there are that. Have you been tempted by that? 
No, just me. I want to warn us in this church that in this moment, we have to be really careful not to dehumanize people and not to turn people into the enemy. Certainly not in the body of Christ that we must actually refuse this emphatically, church. I believe God wants to actually deliver us of this today. I believe that as we will humble ourselves before the Lord, repent of any of this that we've operated in, God will free us from it, and we will have new eyes and a new heart for the body of Christ around us. I actually believe he wants to heal us of some of the wounds and some of the things that have happened over the last year and call us higher to a place of togetherness and oneness in him. Jesus said, what good is it if you love those that love you, even the Gentiles, even the world does that. I think we could even say it like this, what good is it if you love those that think like you? Even the world gathers around that, and we cannot allow the culture of our time to get in us in this way. And as you stand for whatever you're standing for, don't forget that you can be right and still be wrong at the same time. This word bearing with means to endure in acts of selflessness. There are going to be moments and there are going to be seasons that test us and try us just like we have been in. And we're going to have to work. And I want to tell you, church, we've got to work. We have to resist the idea that everyone who's walking with the Lord is somehow going to look and act and think like us. If you haven't figured it out yet, they won't. I mean, you think about who Jesus called to follow him, right? Like Simon the Zealot. I mean, he was like zealous to overthrow the, the, Roman, the Roman government. You think about like, you know, Matthew. He was a tax collector that was hired to collect taxes for the Roman government. Those two guys were in Jesus' core. How different can you get? Bearing with one another here has to do with differences among believers. It has to do with differences in personalities, perspectives, viewpoints. I'm not talking about doctrinal issues here in the church, okay? I'm not talking about sin, okay? The Bible's very, very clear. I'm not talking about commandments. I'm talking about where we would refuse to build walls that would divide us over non-essentials according to the kingdom of God. Amen. The danger is when we try and make non-essentials essential, Danger is when we try and make commands, things that are not commands. The danger is when things heat up in culture to a point that we get confused over our primary and secondary issues in Jesus. So for our cultural context, differences of opinions about vaccinations, mandates, masks, politics... Is this biblical? Is that not biblical? I know godly people on both sides of it. I know some of the most godly people that hear from God that believe differently about all those things. So do you. I've never in my entire life heard more intense perspectives and differences on all the things than right now. 
And I think we've got to stop thinking that our primary role towards our fellow believers is to critique them. It isn't. Our primary role towards fellow believers is to love them. What if we spent less time listening to whoever your favorite thing is, researching all the things, and instead we spent time with the Lord, asking the Lord to increase our love for our brothers and sisters, our children, our spouses, our enemies. Church, I believe we need this word, and we need to bear with each other in love. We could say we need to put up with each other in love. And it's not a love that grits its teeth to put up with someone. He's talking about loving people that are different from you in the body that might even be passionately opposed to some of your perspectives or your viewpoints. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable, resentful. It rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, but love never ends. Guess what ends? Prophecies end. Speaking in tongues ends. Knowledge ends. All the knowledge that we're accumulating about all the things going on, it will end. But in the end, love never ends. And it's the fruit of the Spirit of God living in us, and it's coming out of us. This love is the love that God demonstrated to us in Jesus. God has put up with a whole lot in my life. Has he in yours? Shouldn't we bear with one another and put up with one another instead of cut off and run? He said, love one another as I've loved you. This is our posture. And my prayer for us is, God, give us your heart to love. And I just want to remind us again that, that, that through our lives together, through our marriages, through our friendships, through our, our, our church life, that through those things, the way we treat each other, this is how we tell the story of who God is. And we have to protect the unity. And it'll be impossible to experience unity with one another if our value system is based on agreement with each other. Our unity is based on our agreement in him. The picture Charity gave earlier of the whole world worshiping, do you not think that there's about a million differences in the body of Christ across the world? What is the one unifier? Jesus Jesus. We're justified by faith in Jesus. We gather on the essentials. We do not gather around the non-essentials. We're loving people regardless of how right or wrong we think they are. And this is going to require unity, gentleness, patience. And the fifth one he says in verse 3 is eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The message says, steadily pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love. Alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. Quick at mending fences. Quick to forgive. One of our greatest weapons that we have is we get to forgive people who don't deserve it. When offenses grow, 
we can't see. We grow blind. If you let offenses grow over a long time, everything looks different. Have you noticed that? When you get an offense out quickly with somebody, it, it, they look right again. When you let it grow over time, all of a sudden you can't see the person rightly anymore. But when we're quick to notice, we're quick to address them, unity is kept. I'm not celebrating our differences. I actually want to celebrate our unity, and it's Jesus. But there is a moment to point out the differences to say, hey, we got to knock that off. Romans 12, verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is the way we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Meaning whatever you can do, do it. And we have this responsibility as the body of Christ to do this. This is so important. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, hey, if, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you're worshiping and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go to them. How many say that's a pretty important thing? Like that's a, like stop your worship and go fix it with your brother. <laughs> fix it with them. First reconcile, he says, and then come back and bring your gift and offer it. I wonder what would happen with a move of the Spirit of God as the church comes into this. As the church comes into the desire to reconcile and walk in unity, what is going to happen? I believe the power of God is going to be released. Sometimes, though, we're praying for the power of God and we're lacking unity and love, and I don't believe it's going to happen. Should I be done? <laughs> Just clear about this being a peacemaker. We're not talking about being peacekeepers. Peacekeeper wants to avoid conflict and tension, but we're called to live in the tension. Peacemaker doesn't avoid the issues. A peacemaker goes to the heart of the issues so real peace can live. Peacemakers pursue reconciliation. They speak the truth in love. Blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom. That's what Jesus said. That we would be a people that are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. A people, a church, a family that is faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among us in the bond of peace. Church, we're one body. We're one spirit. We're one hope. And the beauty, and I'm going to close here, the beauty of the mystery of the church is that we would be filled with all kinds of diversity. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, not just ethical or ethnic or racial. I long for that here at this church, but all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds growing together, learning to come into alignment with Jesus and his kingdom. I mentioned it before. You think about the diversity of people that surrounded Jesus, the diversity of the 12. 
You think about the diversity of the people that hung around Jesus, the poor, the oppressed, the the rich, the lepers, the blind, the lame, the demon-possessed, the adulterer. If the church is going to flip out on each other over non-commands, over non-essentials, how are we ever going to be able to welcome the incredible diversity of the ones that are going to come into the kingdom of God? How are they going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus if we're not living that and showing that? You better stand. The music should play right now. Oh, there she is. Amazing. As we close today, (laughs) I know that I might have upset some of you, but if I have, I encourage you to go home and pray over this passage. There's... Pray over, pray over that. Read, read Colossians. It's full of this too. But as I close, I want to exhort you, exhort us to protect the unity in the body of Christ, in the family of God, that we would pursue love like we've never pursued it. How many would be willing to do that? Because I believe that they're actually going to be directly connected to the success of our mission in the city of Springfield and the world around us. It seems like it's difficult sometimes to find those outside of the church who actually admire the church. But what if we showed them something different? Hope. What if we showed them something different? What if we showed Springfield and the world around us something otherworldly than what they see on Fox or CNN or wherever they're looking that it literally made their heads turn and say what is it about those people what is it that's so different about them they're not spewing anger they're not spewing negativity and divisiveness and fear and hopeless like all the others around me. They're so humble and gentle with each other. They're so patient with each other. They, they, they walk with each other even through their faults and their failures. They just keep pouring themselves out in love. They don't cut each other off when they don't like what the other one says. I want some of that. What's so different different about them? They're quick to mend fences with each other. They don't let stuff grow. They don't sweep stuff under the carpet. They care more about their connection than they do about being right about everything. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about sin and theology. I'm talking about just walking with each other and contending for each other's hearts. How many would say... There's something in me that wants to walk in that Jesus way. If that's you, I'm going to pray over you. Would you lift your hands right now and just say, yeah, Jesus. Just say, yeah, Jesus. Father, I pray even right now that people all around us, as we walk in this as the body of Christ out of this building, that people would say, what is that? Oh, that's Jesus. Oh, those people, they look like Jesus. Is that what Jesus looks like? If that's what Jesus looks like, I want that because it's so otherworldly. Pray that over us. I pray that over us. And I pray the prayer of Jesus over us that we 
would walk in maturity, in mature, perfect oneness, that as we mature in this oneness, that it would give the world evidence that God exists and loves them. I pray right now for a freedom from divisiveness over this church. I pray that our words would be life-giving. I pray that our conversations would be full of grace and truth. I pray that we would walk in gentleness, in humility, that we would walk in patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the bond of peace in the spirit. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big shout of praise for his word?